Uh, well, you can have a seat. And good morning once again. As I said earlier, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the lead pastor here for Anderson College. Man, we are just we are glad that you are with us. I, I want to welcome you here to Grace. Uh, we have the beginning, uh, the beginnings of a new series uh, starting this morning. We're essentially uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the first three chapters of Romans. Over the next the the four weeks after that, we'll be looking at the preceding five weeks of Romans or five chapters of Romans. And so, really, for the rest of the semester, we're going to be in Romans, and we'll be studying the first eight chapters, and we'll be looking at what is essentially a letter, right, written, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, written by the Apostle Paul, sent to a church in Rome, hence the name Romans, uh, then it was a church that Paul had never been to. It was a church that Paul had n- did not help form. Uh, and so when he speaks to this church, he's going to talk to them about some of the sort of more general, universal issues that we deal with as believers. Many times in Paul's letters, he would write very specifically, he'd be like, Janice, stop it. Like he would write these very specific commands and encouragements. But for Rome, he's speaking in generalities which is really beneficial for us because we get to see, okay, what are some of the fundamental truths and concepts that we need to grasp as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ here and now? And I'll tell you, one of the things that Paul speaks about very early in the book of Romans is about this idea of shame. In fact, the first three chapters, these first three weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to live a life that is unashamed of the gospel. And I was excited prepping this back in the summer because I know that every single one of us, we carry with us some form of shame. And if you need proof of that, uh, then if you're like me, you can look back at just some of your earliest tags on Facebook. And you're like, yep, yep, mistakes have been made, right? Regrets have been formed. And I don't mean like the cutesy tags where it's like, oh, look at me. I was just a straight up baller, like, you know, way back in the day. Yeah, you know, I, I don't even mean like the, oh, look, I was like young, but like hanging out with my then girlfriend, now wife, and we were having so much fun, even though my hair was weird. Uh, you know, that's, that's not, I'm, I'm talking real shame. I'm talking like when you're a freshman at Impact and you look like a doofus. And Impact's graphic design department was on the struggle bus uh, with some Ed Hardy-looking goofy stuff. Um, I mean the shame of, like, you let your hair grow out all freshman year, and then you buzz it all off slowly but surely, um, and it better reveals your uh, cuff, ear cuff piercings that you have. Yep. Uh, and that's, that's the kind of shame. I mean the shame of, like, yeah, I went with my parents and my family. We decided, yeah, we should take an old-timey photo of ourselves— and I'm going to stand there in my goofy, fe- flat fedora-looking, braces-having vest thing. Ugh. We all have shame, right? This is, this is the point. We all carry shame. And what happens is it originates in our past, right? It's a past mistake, regret, fear, you know, frustration or whatever it is, failure. And, and what happens is it creates a present issue where we have to hide it, right? We're like, well, don't look at that. Like, don't look up those pictures. Let me untag myself from all those photos. Like, let me do these things um, so that I can hide these things from the people around me because I don't want them to know the extent of who I am or what I've done. And then what happens is it creates shame that carries into our future because we're worried about, well, because I, you know, neglected this person in this relationship, we broke up here and now, and that means we won't be together moving forward. That means that we're not, you know, 
destined to be soulmates forever and ever. And, and suddenly we see how past mistakes, they carry into our present and they continue into our future. And this type of shame is exactly what Paul speaks into and about in the beginning of, of Romans. And he talks about how Jesus Christ came and he changed everything, past, present, and future. The, the good news is that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserve, to be raised again three days later, to prove once and for all that our mistakes and our failures, our fears and our frustrations, those things don't own us. And so what Jesus Christ did is he says, because of my death, my life, death, and resurrection, you now have an opportunity to walk in a newness of life. You now have an opportunity to be raised with me to a new life, to a new power, to a new ability, to a life that's free from shame and condemnation, to a life that's free from guilt. And he says, because of my death, because of my resurrection, the past penalty for your sin is done, the present power of sin is vanquished, and the future presence of sin is no more. He says, that's what you have to look forward to. And so as we look these first three weeks in Romans, we'll see how the gospel absolutely transforms the shame of our past, the struggle of our present, and the security that we have in our future. That's what we're looking at. And I would encourage you, as we study the book of Romans deeply, uh, there's so much more that we can't cover in 35 minutes on a given Sunday morning. And so our encouragement is always very simple, that you would immerse yourself in the Word of God day in and day out, that you would allow him to be speaking into your life more than once a week. And maybe that's through prayer. Maybe that's through being in a community of like-minded people studying the word of God. Maybe that's through reading the word on your own. That's why every single series we, we put in the time and the effort and the energy to try to create reading plans, devotionals that help walk you through the connected passages and themes that we cover on Sundays. And so we just launched this a couple days ago. Um, you know, starting for today, we have a, a series, like I think it's an eight-week reading plan, connected to our Unashamed series that you can look up in the YouVersion Bible app. If you have a Bible app on your phone, that's probably the one that you use. Uh, you can look up reading plans and de- devotionals through it. You just search for it. And so if you search for Unashamed, if you search for Grace College, I mean, this, uh, this will pop up. This will be the kind of top result. Is look for Unashamed. I know that this is something that could be helpful for a lot of us. I mean, even just this last series that we did, we had about 3,000 people join us in, in subscribing and looking. And some of those are just like randos that just like find it, and that's fine. But for the most part, it's people that are here with it. It's, it's you, and, and you're joining with us in studying the Word of God and allowing it to transform your life. I mean, that's, that's our goal, is that you would hear from the Lord more consistently and more deeply. And you do that through spending time in His Word. Right? So, but as we look at Romans chapter 1 this morning, what we're essentially going to see is that the gospel defines, absolutely defines and changes who we are and what we do. Right? That's, that's the main idea from Romans 1. And, and I'll tell you, this is, a, this is a truth that if you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you're adopted in the family of God. This is a truth that maybe sometimes doesn't really sink in. It's a truth that sometimes that, that we kind of, we, we move away from. Some of us even look at the statement and we're like, does it though? And the reality is that maybe day in, day out, every moment of every day, it's not going to look like this. It's not going to manifest perfectly. Why? Because we still have sin, because we still make mistakes. And the shame in our life, and this is what Paul addresses today, is the shame in our life, what it does is it will distort our view of ourselves, of other people, of the message we've been given, the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why it's so crucial that as we walk through Romans chapter 1 this morning, 
that we would grasp the fact, we would see the higher, better way, the higher, greater truth, that if we are allowing the gospel to really transform who we are and what we do, what that means is it changes everything about where we belong. It changes us into being a people who belong to Jesus Christ, a people who belong together, and a people who belong for the purpose of revealing the righteousness of God. And that's what we see. And so if you look with me in Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Haley read it for us a moment ago. You can look in your Bible, you can look on your phone, you can look up just even on the screens. And Paul starts out the letter introducing himself, right? Because remember, this is a church he has had no connection with thus far. And so he takes some time to say, hey, this is me, I'm Paul. I'm Paul, that monkey thing. Yeah, you know. Uh, I'm Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul lists three key qualities about himself. He says, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. In other words, he is the one that directs my steps. He's the one that tells me where to go, right? I belong to him entirely. He says, I'm called to be an apostle, meaning an apostle is literally a sent one. He says, I am, I am one who is sent out with a purpose. So not only, so I, I, I align myself with the will of Christ and he has now sent me out for a purpose. And what is that purpose? To be set apart for the gospel of God, literally the good news of God. He says, I am now a person who lives for sharing this message, this news about what God has done through Jesus Christ. He says, that's why I'm here. And this is a really important thing for us to, you know, settle on. Maybe there's moments of clarity that we have throughout the week. We're going to classes, we're going to work, we're doing these different things. And there's moments where we have this kind of moment where we're like, oh, yes, this is why I'm here, right? You're sitting in that nutrition lab and you're like, oh, calories, carbohydrates, complex. This is why I'm here. Like that's, that's just your language and you love it. Yeah, I love, that's great. Good for you. Some of you, you're like in engineering and you're building a bridge out of popsicle sticks. You're like, this is why I'm here, right? Because this is, that's what you do, right? Still in engineering or you're, maybe that's education. I don't know. But you, you're creating these things. You're creating a lesson plan, Right? I didn't mean that as a knock, I promise. <laughs> you're an education major. You're like, you're thinking about how do I reach third graders with the multiplication table? And you're like, I, but you love it. And that's awesome. You're designed to, to love these things. You're designed to be passionate about them. That's awesome. You're sitting in business calculus. And no, let's be serious. No one loves that, right? No one's, no one's there for 151. Like that is not, that is not for anyone. But you have these moments of clarity where you're like, yes this is why I'm here, right? It's for this degree. It's for this career path. It's, I found my person that we're just together and we go to all the late night breakaway stuff and oh, you know, and that's great. Good for you. Awesome. For Paul, he says, this is why I'm here. I'm here to be set apart for the gospel of God. In other words, what he's saying is that the gospel has now created for him a dependent identity. What I mean by this is that his, who he is, is shaped by who Christ is, right? Like his identity is dependent upon another person or the actions of another person. This happens to us all the time. This happens in marriage, most specifically. This is what happens in marriage. When my wife and I got married about 10, almost 10 years ago, she changed her name, right? We had to go through this process where she says, I am no longer Susan Walters. I am now Susan Smith. And everyone rejoiced. And it was great, right? Upgrade, right? Because it's earlier in the alphabet. It's perfect, right? So she said, and it alliterates, Susan Smith, all right? So, so she became Susan Smith, 
But to do that, we had to walk through a huge process, right? And it started with the county clerk. You go to the county clerk, say, we want to get a marriage license. They're like, are you brother and sister? Like, no. They're like, okay. And then they give you one. (laughs) All right. And you fill it out and you submit it and your officiant signs it and he mails it in. They mail it back to you. It's been stamped. You're like, yes, marriage license. So you have this great marriage license. And then all of a sudden you take that to the social security office and you go in. You're like, here's, here's my marriage. I want to change my name, right? So my wife was like, I want to be Susan Smith. They're like, why? And they're like, we got married. They're like, okay. And so then they sign off a thing and they give you another document. And all of a sudden you're different. You take that to the DMV and then you go to the DMV and they're like, I want to change my driver's license. They're like, are you brother and sister? Not really. But they, they're like, Okay, and so you give them that thing, and then and so you go through this whole huge process, and she it resulted in my wife being able to stand and declare to the world, "I am now Susan Smith." Right, like, this is who I am in four to six weeks, depending on office capacity. Right, like, that's <laughs> that's what she was able to declare to the world. And both of us, right, I didn't change my name, but both of us in our identities, a lot of who we were was absolutely shaped by who this other person was. Right? And so suddenly we created or we adopted these dependent identities where all of these aspects about who we are, how we think, how we operate, I mean, it is hinging on the thoughts, actions, words of this other individual. And so Paul is saying, look, you have been given a dependent identity by the gospel. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are now a son of God, a daughter of the Lord Most High. So that's who you are now. Your identity is grounded in the actions and the attributes of someone else. And yet many times, shame steps into this process and it distorts our view. And many times, I myself will feel like, no, there's, there's a mistake that I've made. There's a, there's a struggle that I currently have. And I just, I cannot, I cannot believe, I cannot believe in this moment that God can really still love me unconditionally. Based on where I've been, based on what I've done, based on the way these thought patterns that I keep entering into, based on these habits that I've formed that I just can't break. I mean, we fall into this trap, and I'll tell you, it's a lie. It's a lie. Paul is saying, your identity is not grounded in what you've done or in how you think. He says, your identity is grounded in the God who saved you who you responded to in faith when you saw the grace poured out, when you saw the mercy that you could receive, when you saw the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ and you responded by believing, you responded and trusting, says, that is now who you are. You are one who has believed in Christ. That's why in verse 15, he can say that he's so eager to preach. He says, I'm, I'm eager to preach this message to you. To all of you who are in Rome. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul's saying, I mean, I'm eager to preach to you this message. Because this is where I'm grounded and this is where I can live without shame. If Paul looked back at his life and he says this in some of his sermons that we have recorded in scripture. He will say, man, I look back at my life and I see incredible failure. Some of us may know that, that Paul is actually his second name. He took a new name. Hopefully he didn't have to go to as many offices around Brian College Station as I did, or as my wife did, but, but he took a new name for himself because he was actually, he started as Saul. And Saul was one who persecuted the church. Saul was so devout in his belief and his following of Yahweh, 
of the Judaic concept of God, that he refused to believe that Jesus Christ really was the way and the truth and the life. He thought that Jesus was a heretic, a false teacher. And so Saul was so inflamed and incensed against that false teaching that he was a part of persecuting, imprisoning, and even killing Christians, Jesus followers. But everything changed when he was on a mission and he ran into Jesus. When Jesus appeared to him in glory and splendor, Jesus had already ascended to heaven to be with the Father, but but Jesus appeared to Paul or to Saul and he says, You've got to stop. He says, Everything that you're doing, I mean, you're you're misguided. You're on the wrong track. He says, I am God. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And you are hurting my people and therefore hurting me. And Saul saw his mistake and he turned and he believed. He said, Okay. And part of that turn was that he was no longer Saul, that he had, in fact, adopted the name of Paul. And it was this outward display of this inward change, this inward transformation. He says, I'm going to walk a new path. I'm, going to, I'm moving in a new direction. I'm living a new life. I have a new identity. And so that's why it's so incredibly powerful that Paul can look at the gospel and say, this is where I carry no shame. In this message where I am grounded, in this message that I bring forward, in this purpose that I now live in, under. Because it, it, it brings the power of salvation. He's using this Old Testament terminology um, to specifically call out. You would see this show up in, the, in their older scriptures, right? They had the Old Testament. They, they could read about the work of the Lord in the nation of Israel. And they would see, the, he's calling to mind this idea of the vastness and the power and the might of God. He's saying the power of God, right? The same power that split the Red Sea, the same power that knocked over Jericho, the same power that led the nation of Israel to the promised land, defeating nations and empires along the way. He says, that power, that incredible might and ability of the Lord, he says, that power is contained within our gospel. He says, this message is that power. He says, man, that's what I'm getting to bring to you. That's what I'm under. That is why I'm here, to share this message that overcomes the shame, that overcomes the mistakes, that overcomes the failures that does away with the, the faults and the brokenness. It says those things are done away with because the power of God, man, it p- pushes through. It says, this is why I'm here. This is why I preach this message. Because it has the power to change everything. Everything about who you are. Right? Everything about your unique identity, but also it changes who we are together. Right? He says in verse 16, he said, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, right? It's God's power for salvation to who? To everyone. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Right? To us, that's kind of a weird split. For us, we would say, what is the world? The world is made of two people, Aggies and people who wish they were Aggies. <laughs> right? <That's, laughs> put that on a bumper sticker. Great. For these people at this time, they, the Jews, they, they split the world into two categories. They said there are the Jews and there are the non-Jews. And so Paul is speaking about this specific, and because in the church at that time, there were a number of people who grew up Jewish. They grew up in Judaism. They like worshiped Yahweh and they like sacrificed at the temple and they practiced certain, they practiced the Sabbath. They practiced certain festivals and rituals and things like that. Uh, but then there were another 
big old group of people in that church who weren't Jewish at all. That came up from other backgrounds, other, you know, maybe even other religions, other ethnicities, all this kind of stuff. And, and so Paul's saying, look, all of you are lumped together. Like all of you are in this together. The gospel doesn't have bias for, for you know, your race or your gender or your status or your age or your education or your background, right? There's no upgraded version of the gospel. There's no gospel pro with three gospel cameras. Like that's not how it works. It says you can't achieve this like higher level. One, ancient, one theologian said this way, he says, you know, the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. All people stand on equal footing. Paul's saying you are all in this as a community and you depend upon one another for strength and for moving forward. And I'll tell you, this is a beautiful truth. This is a beautiful gift from the Lord that he creates incredible diversity in our community so that we can rely on each other, so that we can be strong, stronger together than we are apart. Right? Just this moment, right? Just this moment that we're in right now, Capture it. Oh, here we are. Like this moment is only made possible by the work of dozens, if not hundreds of people. The direct involvement of dozens, if not hundreds of people. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, I, as the lead pastor for Anderson College, I am ultimately accountable for what happens in our ministry. If something goes wrong, it comes on me. That's really what that means. I'm accountable for what goes wrong. But Praise the Lord, I am not ultimately responsible for everything that happens in college ministry because in and of myself, I could not, I, mean, I, I don't even know, I don't, probably couldn't even set up all these chairs. I definitely couldn't have like set them up nicely in the right order. Uh, I couldn't have greeted everyone. Like you were probably at some point interacting with one of our super duper wonderful home team members, right? They either like waved a sign at you or they like talked to you or they, you drank some of the coffee that they set up for you. Or they came and chit-chatted with you while you were sitting around. If you're actually, if you serve on home team, would you just stand up? And you're gonna have to stay standing for like a couple minutes, just FYI. So like, well, you don't know enough platform. Stop it. Stop it, Jacob. And I didn't meet you. That's a really nice thought though. Thank you. Uh, but this is who they are, right? So they're serving on home team. They are serving. They're giving up their time. They're giving up their energy to be here to serve. But here's the thing. These home team members are only able to do what they do because they are being trained and equipped by team leaders. Are the team leaders already standing up? I can't tell. Yeah, some of you. Yeah, y'all already are. All right, so they have team leaders that are in this mix, right, that are a part of our home team. What's interesting is that then our home team leaders are actually only able to do what they do because they are trained by our staff members. So we have staff, like lead directors over home team. There's Ben and Anna. Where are they? Can you stand up? Okay, there's Ben. It's in the back. Anna's somewhere, maybe, or she's going to the pot. Where are you? Okay, there you are, Anna. Great. Oh, you're in the darkness, shrouded in the darkness of the back room. Look, she just, she's such a supportive role. It's great. So they train, but they're only able to do what they do because we have another staff member named Kendall who actually checks all the like sign, the digital stuff. You fill out forms, you can jump in. She's one that like sorts and categorizes, schedules everyone to be where they need to be. Kendall's probably here somewhere else. Are you also in the darkness, Kendall? Oh, there you are next to your fiance. Oh, yay. Uh, so Kendall is only able to, 
able to do what she does, though, because we, she has time that's carved out because we have other staff members who cover other responsibilities uh, who are ultimately uh, you know, taught by other staff members that are higher up in our food chain that are ultimately accountable to our elders. I mean, there, there are all these different people. You are led in worship by Rob and his band, and they're all sitting right here on the front row. They're going to stand up because then we'll see be able to. But here's the thing. You were only able to hear them because, one, Haley knows how to build it, but also... <laughs> Because we have a production crew that's in the back. They're all going to stand up and look at them. Look at those sweet old fellas. Kind of in the good order. Beep, boop, boop. And they, they are able to do what they do because they receive training, because they receive guidance, because they signed up through a form that another admin staff checked and put them with. Look, all of these people are absolutely 100% instrumental for this moment to happen. And that's not even talking about the chair that you're sitting in that was set up by people in our young adult ministry in a building that is paid for by the sacrificial giving of thousands of adults and students like yourself that go to Grace Bible Church. Isn't that wild? Okay, y'all can sit down. Thank you. That's really crazy. And if three of us want to clap for them, that's fine. But listen, that's not the point. Because they are not here for themselves. They're not here for their own sake. Like, they wouldn't tell you that, oh, yeah, man, the best thing about being on home team is it makes me feel great. Like, that's not... Their ultimate goal. Their ultimate goal is to sacrifice and give of themselves for the sake of other people because they know that even though every single moment doesn't feel like the best, they don't love getting up here a little bit earlier. They don't necessarily love like having these extra responsibilities and obligations. But I'll tell you, they know and they probably get moments of recognizing that this is really where life is found. It's what Jesus promised us. So I want you to give of yourself. I want you to sacrifice your life for the sake of others. Not because I want to see you suffer. Not because I think it's funny. Jesus says, I want you to give up your life because that's where life is actually found. He says, if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. He says, this is our calling, to be a people who are in a race. We're racing each other to the back of the line, as one pastor puts it. He says, it's a race to the back of the line. It's a race to see, I mean, how can I serve you better? And when we live in this mindset, when we live in this way, man, what it does is it brings us together. And yet so many times there's division. Why? Because shame enters the equation. Because brokenness wants to drive us apart. Not, our sin doesn't just drive us apart from the Lord, but it drives us apart from one another. And what I mean by this is that, you know, when we look at the, the, the roles of other people, they're going to be different than us, right? There's diversity. There's differences between you and the person sitting next to you, the person sitting in front of you or behind you. And that's, that's great, right? That diversity could be a strength, but it also could create frustration and differences, right? You think about that roommate who's just very different from you. And maybe there's qualities that you could celebrate about Steve, Steve's really sweet, right? Steve, like, he, he brings people in. He's everybody's friend. Awesome. Thank you, Steve. But Steve, that boy steals spoons. I don't know. Or something. Like, he, I, had a, I had a friend like this. You go in his car. You look in the cup holder. There's, like, 12 spoons. You're like, Steve, spoons, dude. Stop. And so those differences can create friction and frustration, and they lead to division. And we assume that we don't need other people because of those differences, or we assume that we, they don't need us, right? So we either put the shame on ourselves and think they don't really need me, they can't really use me, like I'm, uh, or we put the shame on them and we say, well, look at the mistakes, look at the failures that they've made. I don't need that person. I don't need Steve. 
And all of a sudden, we fall into this trap of this distorted view that's simply not true, where the Lord has actually given us diversity for the sake of more strength. We're better together. And so he says, I want to give you this diversity. I want you to connect the dots. So that's why connecting those dots is so important. That we recognize, you know what, we actually, we need one another. That's part of why we're combining with family service next week. We're not meeting in this room next Sunday morning. We'll be meeting across the street because we want to connect some dots. We want to say, hey, look, this is the larger body at Grace Anderson that we're a part of. Praise the Lord that we have so much diversity in our midst. And so we want to understand, man, this is why we're here. Right? This is why we're here together, because we recognize that God's power for salvation is to everyone who believes. Uh, but yet, some of us, maybe we see this truth, we're like, but I'm not quite there. Maybe I'm, I haven't really bought into it fully yet. And that's, that's why we encourage you guys, week in, week out, uh, very simply, hey, maybe you need to find closer community here at Grace. Maybe some of you, you're, you've got your community, you like, you're studying the word of God, you're, you're, you're meeting for prayer and accountability with friends from back home. That's awesome. Maybe some of you, you found it through an organization. You're like, you know what? We're the future rock climbing leaders of Arizona, whoop, class 19, you know, whatever. Like that's, you're in that organization, 19. Like that's what you're in. And that's awesome. Good for you. Others of us, we recognize, hey, you know what? Actually, I, need, I could find this. Maybe I should be part of this in my local church body. That's why we have small groups, because we want to shrink as we grow. And we know it's easy to not be known in this room. And so we have lots of little teeny tiny rooms that you get to be a part of, Li- living rooms around town, different days of the week, that if you go through that top link, you can sign up. Super easy. And we have a number of leaders who are led by coaches, who are led by directors. Again, all these dots that we're connecting to reach to create communities that are focused on Jesus Christ and are designed to change the world. That's what you can be part of. Or maybe some of us would say, you know what, I, I, I'm in a community where we know we're growing together, but I'll tell you, there's another level, there's another kind of wonderful uh, mix to, to unity that happens when you work together, when you serve together, when you have those shared experiences, when you sweat together. And that's why we also have home team. It's easy to get into. Just fill out that link. We'd love to have you. And it's not because we have a bunch of boxes that we need checked or a bunch of roles we need filled. It's because we genuinely know that, man, you come alive when you're serving sacrificially for the sake of others. That's why we have home team. It's not to meet, just meet needs. It, it's to really give you a taste of what it looks like to live for the sake of the gospel. And so when we move in these ways, when we join together, what's beautiful is that this sense of the security of belonging, it transforms our behavior. It allows us to move forward in a new way. And we belong for a purpose of revealing the righteousness of God. This is how he describes it in verse 17. Right? This is what I mean. For the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel from faith to faith. For just as it is written, the righteous by faith will live. Paul is saying that the righteousness of God, the word he's using here for righteousness, literally is rightness, right? So God, God is right. He is correct. And this is who he is. It's also how he functions. In other words, this rightness is describing not only his attributes, but it's also describing his actions. He is right, and he will make all things right. That's where God is. He's absolutely correct, absolutely just, absolutely 
right. He's righteous. And Paul's saying that this righteousness is revealed in the gospel. And this is really important because Paul in verse 18, right after this, is going to say, you know, when you look at creation, you see the might and the splendor of God, something we talked about the last month, right? This idea of God revealed in creation. But Paul says, not only do you see the power of God and the magnitude, but you see his wrath. Is when you look at creation, what you recognize is that there is a God who's bigger and greater than me, and therefore there's nothing I can do to ever really earn his favor. There's nothing I can do to know him in and of my own ability. And so Paul's saying, praise the Lord, that he doesn't just reveal his wrath against us, but he reveals his righteousness and his grace and his mercy through the gospel. He says, for it's written, right? He says, because we see in this gospel, it's from faith to faith. Literally, this is where uh, a lot of scholars spend time. Uh, but I think the most reasonable understanding of this is, telling, it's like, wow, is it from faith to faith? And what are the exact connotations and everything? It, it seems to be that he's speaking about how it moves from the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of Christ, to our response of faith, our response of belief. So he says, because of the faithfulness of Christ, this perfect life that we couldn't live, because of his death that we deserve, because of his resurrection that we could never achieve on our own, he says, now if you believe in me, you call on my name, you can join me. You can join me in that resurrection. You can join me in that new life. Paul says this is something that's new and novel. That's why he says when it's revealed, literally he's saying apocalypto. It's this, it's this Greek term that means it was once hidden, but now it's known. So he says, this is what's revealed in our gospel, that our God has actually made a way when we had no way. From Christ's faithfulness to our belief, we have an opportunity to live, right? The righteous by faith will live. And so what we understand in our gospel is not just who we are individually, not just who we are as a community, but it helps us understand our world. And it highlights tragically the desperation that it's in. The dismal state. Because the reality is that we live in a world that is broken and distorted by sin. That is in desperate, desperate need of our message. That's why Paul is saying, I'm set apart for the gospel. He says, because people need to hear this. Right? There should be an urgency to our lives. There should be a desperation to our teaching, to our preaching. Why? Because we know in the gospel, we see in Romans 1 that that this world is, is hopeless apart from the hope of Christ. And so when we realize, man, I have a message that people desperately need to hear, what does that do? It changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we speak. It changes the way that we think. It changes the way that we view the world. And and it's going to just transform the way that we move forward and interact with people, as seen a little bit by my middle child right here. Okay, what do you want to say? That's right. You went to the party. So welcome to my life. Someone is always screaming, and someone's always going TT. But what's beautiful in this moment was my son, Lawrence, what he did is he went TT in the potty. He's two and a half. He's like starting to get this whole potty thing down. He's like, yeah, I want to be about that. And so every once in a while, he'll tell us. He's like, I got to go TT. I want to go in the potty. We're like, all right, let's go. And so he, and he'll do it. He'll actually do it now. There used to be a lot of false alarms. He actually follows through. He's a man of his word at this point in life. And he will get on that potty, and he'll go TT. 
And what's amazing is that I don't even think this was through our prompting. We would, we would encourage them to tell the other parents. So like if I was with them and I took them to potty, I'd be like, let's tell mommy. And so we'd go tell mommy. He's like, oh, I did it on the potty. She's like, ah! Right? And we all just like celebrate and high five and all this kind of stuff. It's great. It's beautiful. Uh, but he then kind of connected the dots and was like, well, I need to tell more than just mommy. I need to tell more than just daddy. I need to tell Gigi, right? Like, I need to tell my grandparents. And so literally right here, this came about because he was like, we got, let's call Gigi. Let's call Gigi and tell her. And I was like, okay. And so we call up my mom and she didn't answer, right? Because he's one of 10 grandchildren. I'm like, wake up, dude. You're like 10%. No, I didn't really. She was busy. Uh, she loves him so much. And I was like, look, you, I was like, she, we can't talk to her. She's not available. And she's like, well, send her a video. Let's well, send her a video. And so I was like, okay. And so we literally, we made this video and he stopped it. It stopped in this moment on this <laughs> weird looking kid. And he it stopped at this moment because he stopped it because he was like, that's it. That's all I needed to say. Like, I thought he would, like, talk a little bit more, like, say, like, oh, what's going on? No, he's like, I told her I went potty. Boop, I'm going to hit that red button and shut this thing down. He's like, because this is what she needs to hear. He knew. He's like, I have a message that has to go out. I have a word that has to be proclaimed. Gigi needs to know that I went TT on the potty. I'm like, yes, she does. And she's glad to hear that. Thank you, son, for this gospel illustration. Right, but the reality... The reality is that a lot of times we don't approach the gospel with that sense of urgency. We don't necessarily live our lives with a sense of, 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 of desperation. Why? Because shame enters the equation. And because shame, what it does is it distorts our view of our message. And I think it plays out in two different ways. Either, one, the shame is self-inflicted. It's kind of on the message itself. We think, you know what? People don't want to hear this. People don't desire to hear the gospel. They hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Or, flip side... I think we put the shame, we project it to others, and we think, you know what? It's not that they don't desire to hear it, but they don't deserve it. And there's people in our lives that we think, you know what? You don't deserve my forgiveness, or you don't deserve me to live in a certain way, or you don't deserve for me to behave or or speak these truths. And and sometimes it's conscious. I think rarely it's conscious. I think more of the times it's kind of subconscious. And there's people that are just sort of out of sight and out of mind. We grew up with that friend who does not know the Lord. But we came to college, and now we, don't, we just don't think about them anymore. Or, or maybe there's people around the world, and we hear about it every once in a while, of like, oh, yeah, there's like this unreached people group, and like they've never heard the gospel. And maybe there's a moment where we're like, yeah, that's, man, that's a bummer. Um, but then we just, we just don't think about it. And so all of a sudden, that urgency is gone. That, that desperation is lost. And that's why it's so incredible that Paul is bringing us back to this truth. That look, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. He says, this is the one hope. This is the one lifeline. He says, this is the truth. This is your one opportunity to bring a message, an eternal message to everyone everywhere. He says, this is the message that everyone needs to hear. He says, this is your opportunity to make your life count for eternity. How incredible is that? That you can live for more than just that degree. You can live for more than just that dating relationship. You can live for more than just that organization. You can live a life that has ripples and effects through all of eternity. That's what you have right now. That's what we have. And that's what I lose sight of. That's what we all fall short of. In our day-to-day, we get caught up in this and that, and this person and that person, this drama and that drama. And man, we lose sight of this incredible truth. That God has given us a message that's worth shouting from rooftops. And so that's why 
we want to be more focused. Here at Grace College, man, we want to be more focused on this incredible truth, on this incredible reality. And one of the ways that we're going to focus on is through Revive. It's about a month away. We'll talk about it a lot more in the coming weeks. This is something we've been working on for months and months. But essentially, we are bringing together uh, about 10 local churches from here in town. We're gathering at Central, and we're, we're, we have the opportunity to hear from David Platt. And he's going to be speaking on the urgency of our gospel. And we'll get to enter into worship. We'll get to enter into times of prayer. And you'll get to hear about opportunities that local churches, Grace, you know, Christ UMC, Browse Fellowship, Central, Antioch, Deck, like all the opportunities that we all have to send you to the world with the gospel on your lips. we're going to close out this morning even talking about some of the other kind of immediate opportunities that you have to a class that we'll have on Tuesday nights called Awaken that you can be a part of where it's just opening your eyes to how the gospel is moving around the world and how you can be a part of it. You'll hear about how you can join us on campus two days a week, four different times for evangelism training, how we we want to train you and equip you to be able to share your faith in all circumstances. And so you can join us in that and put it into practice Wednesdays and Thursdays. You're going to hear about our vision trips, which are essentially just our 10-day trips around the world to share the gospel with people who have probably never, ever heard it before. We have two trip, three different trips going to two different locations, North Africa and East Asia, that go over the winter break for 10 days. And we want to tell you about it. We want to, we want to show you that there's opportunity to be the messenger of this incredible message, to make your life count for eternity. To not just belong in this wonderful relationship, not just belong in this incredible community, but to belong to this greater purpose of revealing the righteousness of God to a world that desperately needs to hear it. So I don't know what your next step is, right? I just laid out a bunch, and you're not going to be taking all of them. But maybe there's one. Maybe there's one that the Lord is pointing you towards. Maybe there's just a conversation you can have with a roommate that God is moving you towards. Maybe it's a phone call with a parent. Maybe it's a text to a sibling. I I don't know. But I know that the Lord has brought us together for a purpose of sending us out. So let's pray right now before we enter into worship. Let's pray and ask him to show us what that step might be. Lord, we are just, we are so grateful that you give us a chance to live for your purposes. God, that you would use us in your mission is just unbelievable. That you take us, faults, failures, mistakes, and all, and you still, you redeem us. And, and as we're redeemed and as we're reconciled to you, you don't just kind of put us on a shelf so that we don't mess things up, but instead you, you put us on the field. You send us into the game and you give us orders to follow. God, you give us commands to obey. And God, you, you promise us and you fulfill that promise of, of saying that, that that's where we find true joy and satisfaction and fulfillment is when we're living lives that are focused on you and your purposes. So for some of us, man, our, our next step is, is maybe not even to, to run out of here with the message on our lips, but instead it's, it's to believe. It's, it's some of us have, are realizing through the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit that, that we don't really belong to the family of God. That we've never really trusted in the work of Christ. 
to, to redeem us, to, to buy us out of sin and death, to, to reunite us with the God of the universe who loves us, who wants to call us son, who wants to call us daughter. And so for those of us that are in that spot that are, are realizing this, my encouragement is that, man, this is a wonderful moment to, to talk with the Lord, to pray before the Lord and say, God, I want that to change. God, I, I want to be a part. I want to belong to your family. And, and if that's you, man, I would love to pray with you. I'd love to pray for you. And so all of our heads are still down and our eyes are still closed. But man, if you would be willing, if you're feeling led to believe in Christ, to take that step of faith, if you would just raise your hand and I can see where you are, I can be praying for you, I can be praying with you. put your hands down and you can pray with me saying God we acknowledge that we have mistakes and failures that that would keep us from you because we're not perfect and yet God you loved us too much to leave us in that state to leave us in that brokenness God it was our fault but you took responsibility by sending Jesus Christ to, to die the death that we deserved So God, we trust, we believe that Jesus came for us, that he died for us, that he wants us to have a relationship with you for eternity. And if that's, if you just pray that with me, man, praise the Lord that you have left death behind and you've entered into life, that you belong to the family of God. For others of us, man, that's a a step that we took in our path. That's, that's, That's a beautiful gift of mercy that we've received previously and yet we aren't always quick to share it with the people around us so again i don't know what your next step is in living a life that's ashamed unashamed of the gospel but but take a moment right now and just ask the lord to clarify for to clarify it for you maybe just ask the lord right now to soften your heart and open your eyes to make you open and receptive to maybe changing some plans to being open to maybe moving around some schedule, to, to maybe being open to sacrificing in some way for the sake of sharing his word, his message with others. Ask him for that moment just to soften your heart and we'll enter back into worship in just a moment.